Hi, I wanted to welcome you to the Divorce Planning Podcast. I'm Carrie Goldring, and I'm in the mortgage business, and I do planning pre-divorce for people who are either going to refinance their home, do an equity buyout, or plan to purchase a new home and make sure that everything in the divorce decree is worded properly and the numbers and the planning is taken care of so that you can go through the underwriting process smoothly. And I would like to introduce you to other people who are interested in the divorce planning process so you can get a real education of what's involved. Hope you enjoy. Today I am with Jim Krisikos, who is a family law attorney in Southeast Michigan. And we're gonna talk about the differences of all the different ways someone can go through the divorce process now, because it's not as simple as it used to be. Jim, I wanna welcome you. Thank you. Nice to be here. So I wanted to explain so people understand the old days, you'd hire an attorney, they'd file for divorce, mm-hmm. you kind of go back and forth, maybe you settle, maybe you go to trial, but it seems like there's a lot of other ways that you could go about getting a divorce that maybe aren't as brutal. Can you talk about all the differences? Yeah, there are other options other than the go to court option, obviously, the um it is the most frequent. It is the most common, and there's a reason for that. But um, there are alternatives. I don't want people to walk away thinking that just because you have to go through the court process for the divorce, it has to be acrimonious. It has to be nasty. It has to be expensive. The vast majority of cases that go to court do settle out of court. The question is, at what point in the process? Uh, but they do settle more, more times than not. Um, now, we're in Michigan, so I can only speak to where I practice. And I can tell you in Oakland County, well over 95% of cases settle out of court. At one point, I think it was at around 98% of divorce cases settle out of court. But that's, again, you don't know exactly where in the process they're settled. So I think a lot of attorneys just assume that every case that they get, every divorce case that they get that walks through the door, just goes right into that court process. What, what I call litigation, what, what uh, is commonly referred to as litigation. Uh, but there are alternatives to litigation. There's collaborative divorce, there's mediation, and both of those are really gaining in popularity uh, for, for reasons that we've talked about. You're, you're not going through the court process. You don't have judges making decisions. It's more control for the parties. Um, maintaining that control is huge for a lot of people. Well, eventually you always have to go through the court process to legally get the divorce judgment. Okay. It's just a question of, do you file first and then spend months, you know, litigating the case and trying to work out a resolution, or do you try to resolve it before you ever file the case? And that's really what I talk to clients about. Now, most of my caseload is still litigation the traditional that what we've been describing. Um, but it is increasing these these alternate forms it's like collaborative divorce and mediation where you try to resolve the the issues outside of court before filing so that by the time you sit down and file the divorce case, all the issues are resolved and you're just going through the paperwork and waiting out the time period. The um, All right, let me ask you this question because I'll, I've had some clients who have a settlement agreement. So they're settling prior to their court date. Mm-hmm. And then they'll say to me, well, I'm waiting 
you know, we're waiting to get the judgment signed by the judge. And then I always get the assuming they're not going to change anything. So how typical or non-typical is it when a judge gets your settlement agreement or your divorce decree, do they read it and say, nope, that's not fair. Nope, you can't do that. Or are they just saying, hey, you guys agree to everything, sign. I, I can't speak to every judge, but they, mm -hmm. they most of them do read it. But I'll tell you, I, I think it would be very unusual. And it, it is very unusual in my experience uh, for a judge to change anything or reject something. Judges maybe scrutinize child custody provisions and parenting provisions and child support, anything involving children. Uh, judges do take a very careful look at that um, or their staff will. And once in a while, you, you'll get a, a call or an email or a question from the judge saying, hey, what's going on here? Or why are they doing this? Or is this child support accurate and, and, con and consistent with our for the support formula that we use in Michigan? Um, but very rarely do judges tell you this has to be changed. Um, but it does happen, but it's it's very rare. Okay. Yeah. I was curious because I do I do hear that a lot. And I wondered, like, is that just what general public yeah. thinks happens or? Although I will say this, it may be more common than I'm aware, only because the cases that I'm involved with, usually there's two attorneys. Uh, so between the, the two attorneys and the mediator, you're usually going to spot those issues and address them before you send it to a judge, right? So there are people out there that are trying to do this stuff, you know, do it yourself, right? Right. They're, so that you know, might come on more, more often. Right. Right. So they may be doing things in their divorce judgment that they're preparing on their own without the benefit of legal counsel. And then the judge is the first, you know, let the, the first line of defense as opposed that to the lawyers sense. working on it before it's submitted. So yeah, that, that could happen more often when you have um, unrepresented parties. What would you say you like the best about the litigation traditional divorce cases? Is there, a, that, is there something that's a real big pro or that you really enjoy? That's the last resort. You know, regardless of what enjoyment I may personally take out of being in court, it is always the last resort as far as I'm concerned for a client because I know it's by far the most expensive process. Um, you know, even the cases that are litigated, like I said, most of them are going to settle out of court. And it's those rare few that have to be litigated and actually go to a trial. So let's not confuse the fact your case could be litigated. That doesn't mean it's always going to trial. So it's the cases that go to trial that are very few and far between. Um, and that is by far the most expensive. But yeah, it's it's enjoyable kind of brushing up on your rules of evidence and, and mm -hmm. getting your cross-exam of the other uh, witnesses. That's That's part of being a lawyer and that's part of the enjoyment of being a lawyer. But it's not something we want to do every day. It's not something we should be doing every day because in reality, most of these issues that we're dealing with in divorce cases uh, with some exceptions, are not always are not novel issues. They're they're settleable issues, right? So right. personally, I, I view it personally. You know, unless somebody has got a real difficult spouse or a real complex um, novel issue, uh, I personally view, view it as a failure on my part, at least partially, uh, if a case cannot be resolved short of trial. That makes sense. And is trial more expensive because the time that's needed to prepare for a trial or paying for expert yeah. witnesses or what makes it more expensive? All, all of it. I mean, I tell clients if, if they 
think they're going to trial or tell me they want to go to trial. Um, my, I set the bar for them, what to expect. And what I usually tell folks is estimate at least a three hours of prep for every one hour that we're in court. So if we're in court or a full day of trial, you can expect at least, you know, 24 hours of prep plus the eight hours in court. And I think that's surprising for a lot of people, but the reality is to get an attorney adequately prepared to handle just about anything that could come up and takes time. Yeah. Could you go to court and wing it? <laughs> sure. But I don't think anybody wants to pay my hourly rate to go to court and wing it. If they're paying me to go to court, they want me prepared and, and right. prepared. And, and no one thinks about that. And and not only, and then anticipating what is the other attorney going to argue about? You know, it's a chess game, right? You, mm -hmm. I've got I've got a, a piece of testimony they want to get out from a witness or a document I want to get into evidence. The other side's not going to let me do that if they can avoid it. So they're going to try to object. I'm trying to anticipate all of the possible objections and arguments against why it should be offered into evidence, and I got to be prepared for my counter to that. So yeah, it's it's a lot of prep. And Right. Yeah. That's it's just like always behind the scenes. Like if you don't see behind the scenes, you don't really understand what happens yeah. behind the scenes. So Absolutely. that was good that, that you brought that. And what about mediation? Some people probably don't even understand what the difference is between mediation mm -hmm. or even collaborative or how that works with settling yeah. or mediation can happen at two different times. The one that I prefer that I think is most effective is early stage mediation, which often means prior okay. to the divorce case being filed. I can be, I'm, I'm a trained mediator. I also represent uh, individuals in mediation pre-filing. Um, I, I think the pre-filing before the case is filed is really good because the alternative, the late stage mediation, which occurs toward the end of a divorce, litigated divorce case, and is usually court ordered. Uh, can sometimes come very late in the process with a trial right around the corner and can be exhausting. You know, so I, I've had late stage mediation where we say, hey, if we can't settle this case this week, we have to start preparing for trial on Monday uh, because our trial date's right around the corner. And that's a lot of pressure to, to put on one day of mediation, uh, sometimes a half a day. Um, say, well, people make decisions without having the benefit of really sitting down and thinking it through and talking to maybe a financial person, a mortgage person like yourself, a financial uh, analyst, somebody to sit down and work their budget. Can I make this work? When we do it early stage before filing, there's not that time pressure. If there's a, if there's a possible resolution on the table, it's, hey, this is going to be the support. This is going to be the division of the assets. You're going to get the home. Can you afford a refinance? And, and what will that new payment look like? I don't have all those answers necessarily today, but I will before our next session. And that's what early stage offers you is that opportunity to discuss options, take a pause, come back another day. In between that, those two sessions, you're getting the answers to all those questions that you need. Say, so, yep, I've talked to Carrie. Goldring, and I found out this is what my mortgage payment is going to be and what I would need to demonstrate for income to qualify, I can make that work or I can't make that work. So we got to think of something new. You don't have that benefit in late stage mediation. So it's just, it's a, you get better outcomes because you have more opportunity to think things through and talk them out.
early stage as opposed to late stage. But would you say that's pretty normal that when you hire an attorney that they say, hey, let's try and get a mediator in here at the very beginning? Or do you think it's more of an attorney going to another attorney and back and forth? Uh, I don't think it's that common. I wish it was more common. Oftentimes people just don't know what those options are. So I'd say, well, look, these are the, these are the options that I can suggest to you. And you might not get these suggestions if you call 10 other attorneys, but I'm going to give you uh, all of these because they're things that I do. They're things that I've seen successful. Um, and I'm just trying to think of a process that's going to be the most efficient, get you the best outcome. And you know, let them make up their mind and ask important those, those relevant questions before they make up their mind of which process they're going to use or which journey they're going to use. Right. That make that makes sense. And would you say the options are more imperative when you have children or not necessarily true? I think they are because a lot of people say right out of the gate that they either want to make sure that the kids get out of this okay and that the, it's important for them for the kids to have a good relationship with both parents or they come in with kind of maybe an opposite view of, uh, I think uh, my spouse should have nothing to do with these kids or have minimal <laughs> contact with these kids. And here's why. Important information for me to take in right at the beginning and uh, right. guide which way I think makes the most sense for them. So, well, look, if you think that you two can effectively co-parent and that you think you're, you know, it's vitally important to have that role, both parents, as, as it is for most families, um, you know, this is an option that we can consider. Um, but yeah, if somebody calls me up and says, you know, he, he or she is abusive or, or there's a substance abuse problem and they're a danger to themselves and uh, somebody else or a mental health issue, yeah, probably not going to be a good case, uh, at least initially, for early stage mediation. That makes sense. So tell, tell us a little bit about collaborative so we get all three of them in here. Yeah. So collaborative divorce is, in my, in my opinion, really sort of taken off a lot in the last 10, 15 years in Michigan. Uh, but it's international. It's national. Um, it's a process where, similar to what we've been talking about in terms of mediation, but in collaborative, we're, we're trying to resolve these issues prior to filing. Both parties have to have their own attorney who have gone through the collaborative training. We bring in neutral financial individuals to help people with financial questions or, or decisions. We have uh, coaches who help people sort of overcome the emotional obstacles that exist in most divorce cases. And any other experts, whether mortgage or realtor or, you know, business valuation, whatever the issue is, we bring in somebody who's been trained in the collaborative process. And the whole point is we're going at this, we're trying to resolve an issue, not husband versus wife or, or this person versus that person. It's more of a problem solving. We're, we're looking at it as a, more of a team than as adversaries. So the lawyers, it's most difficult really for the lawyers, I think, because the lawyers who depending on how long they've been practicing, they've just had it drilled into them. You know, they're your advocate. They're, they're being a, you know, aggressive advocate, a zealous advocate for their client. So what the collaborative process is doing, it's kind of telling them, take off that zealous advocate hat. You're still looking out for your client's best interests always. But stop being that fierce advocate and start thinking about how do we resolve these issues? These are the issues we need to work on Let's start working on 
uh, how we can resolve this out of court privately uh, with the input from these other professionals. And we set up these meetings, a series of meetings where we start tackling these issues and start talking about them. And it's a dialogue. It's not a, it's not a court environment. It's an ongoing discussion. No bullying, no one, no well, one creating problems where there weren't problems to begin with. Well, it happens. People get emotional and, and that's understandable and that's unavoidable. But that's one of the reasons why we have coach. The coach is usually a mental health professional who meets with the couple before we really have our group meeting with, our, with the whole team. And they're going to tell us, you know, look, these are some of the issues and, and areas of concern for this spouse. And these are the issues for that spouse. And we've got to be careful about this and how we approach that subject. This is going to derail us if we go too far. So we try to be thoughtful about how we're going to engage in each discussion and make sure we're engaging everybody and keeping them engaged in that dialogue. I don't tell people that collaborative is an alternative to settling it on their own. Because if you can settle it on your own, settle it. You know, you should right. always talk to an attorney, but uh, make sure you know what you're you're doing. But it's not a substitute. It's not a process for people who get along and agree on everything. That's that's not collaborative. Collaborative is for people who genuinely have some issues that they got to work through, and they're going to have a hard time working through them without some professional advice. It's really more collaborative as an alternative to litigation. Whereas right. in litigation, you're litigating this, it's in a courtroom, it's public, you've got a judge making decisions. In collaborative, we're doing it privately in a conference room or on Zoom with experts, professionals who are going to help us work through the problem as opposed to a judge dictating this is what we're doing on this issue. And that What I like about it is it seems like everyone is gearing up for family success. And you have all these people like, kind of like, I don't know, restructuring your life, right? To where everyone's looking at everything where you don't normally get that. If you normally are writing a will, then someone's just there to write a will. Or if you're doing financial planning, someone's just there to do financial planning. This one, you have everybody looking at like all six sides of the dice yeah. and making sure that your future is, is looked at from every angle, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, if it's done right, it's, it's designed to set everybody up for, for success as best they can after the divorce is final, as opposed to litigating a divorce case and it going to trial and somebody's not going to be happy with the outcome or there's a winner and a loser. Collaborative is, we're, we're, we're putting them in the best possible position when it's over to be happy, to be successful, and to be able to co-parent if they have children. So it's, it's, a, it's a good it's a really good process that people need to look into. Yeah, collaborative, you're going into an agreement with your eyes wide open. You're not, you're going to have worked on a budget. You're going to have talked to a mortgage lender like you. You're going to have really good understanding of what the parenting time is going to look like and how it's going to work with everybody's schedule. So there's a lot to like about collaborative divorce. It's nice that people have choices. Well, thank you for explaining that. I think that was really, really helpful as we try to get the word out that there's alternative ways to get this process done. And if someone wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way to do that? My phone number at my office is 248-290-0515. And, or you can go to my website, which is www.chrisacoslaw.com. 
Wonderful. Well, thank you for being with me. I really appreciate your time. I hope you enjoyed our podcast on divorce planning. I'm Carrie Goldring, and I hope you have a great day.